I love my tribe. I, I get very sentimental about actors. I've got to say, I have to admit that. And this tribe, it means a lot to me. And, and when great people come together, not only talented, but just wonderful, wonderful human beings, that's the best, that's heaven. If such a thing exists, that's what it's like. That's Alfred Molina, a Tony Award-winning Emmy and BAFTA-nominated actor who joins me, Jenny Curtis, on this episode of Hollywood Unscripted. His list of credits is, well, extensive. From Kurt Co. Media. There's no place like Hollywood. You've seen his work in Raiders of the Lost Ark, Spider-Man 2, Species, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Chocolate, Frida, The Da Vinci Code, and Education, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, The Tempest. You've heard him in Frozen 2, Rango, Ralph Breaks the Internet, on Family Guy, Robot Chicken, and American Dad. He's tread the boards of the stage in Red, Fiddler on the Roof, Art, and Oklahoma. And this is just a small sample of the work that he's done. Okay, so first thing... I hear that you prefer Fred to Alfred, so can I call you Fred? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Alfred, I always tell people Alfred's for the poster. Well, Fred, thank you so much for joining Hollywood Unscripted today. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Thank you. I'm going to start off with a really easy question. I like the easy ones. Because you have worked across so many mediums, film, TV, theater, animation. How do you define yourself as an artist? I've always liked the term, <laughs> the idea of a jobbing actor. The actor who kind of... They'll go from one job to the next. You know, there'll be some good years and there'll be some lean years, but you just take it all in your stride and you kind of like, you know, you just keep going and there's good times and not so good times. Before you know it, you look back and you've got what is generally termed a career, but it's nothing that you've ever planned or anything you've worked on. And there you see everything you've laid, you've done before, all the jobs that you didn't like, all the jobs that you loved went by the wayside and whatever. Mm. I see myself as a craftsperson. I don't think of myself as much more than that, but I'm proud of that. That gives me a great deal of pride. And the great thing about being a craftsperson is that you can keep learning. Something else will come up and you'll kind of go, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Oh, I'm going to try that next time. That's why I like working with young actors and young casts and you know, young directors. It keeps you alive and it keeps you humble too. It's very easy in one's middle age to kind of get a little settled, you know, a little kind of set in your ways. And, and, and that also applies to how you think about your work. And it can be debilitating. It can limit you. You know, you need shaking up now and again. Mm -hmm. It's nice when you get a chance to work with young creatives who have just fresh ideas and new ideas and you know, let's try this, let's try that, because they've got a whole range of references that I don't know about. You know, I, I stopped listening to popular music around about 1985. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's sort of, I, I don't know. <laughs> I've got friends my own age who kind of like, they're making jokes about all these drop-in names of singers and bands and songs and they're quoting bits from stuff and, you know, and, and I'm kind of going, I haven't got a clue what they're referring to. <laughs> So, and I think, oh, maybe I'm getting set in my ways a little bit, you know. So someone will say, oh, would you like to meet so-and-so? Uh, you know, they, they haven't done very much. I kind of go, yeah, I'd love to meet them. <laughs> Let's see what they got. That's awesome. I hope my approach is at least optimistic. I spoke with a young journalist recently who reminded me that when she was a student, she came to a Q&A after a performance of a play that I did. And she said, I plucked up the courage to put my hand up and you pointed to me and I asked you a question. I said, well, what was the question? And she asked me, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to anyone 
aspiring to be in the business, you know, in show business. I said, well, my advice would be never say no. Mm. Be open to everything. And she reminded me of that. And I suddenly thought, I've got to start taking my own advice. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be that much of a hypocrite. (laughs) But talking about advice, I've heard, I heard an interview with you where you said one lesson you always teach acting students is if you walk off the stage, you come out of a scene and you say that you nailed it. You didn't, and that's right. Keep that in mind. So does that mean you're never content with a performance of your own? I don't think you can be. How can you be? It's like if you're if you come off stage and you really genuinely think you've actually done it, like you've done it, you've hit every note, you've hit every point, you've gotten every laugh, you've made everything work, every single thing. You're either delusional or you're lying, <laughs> because it never goes that way ever ever for anyone i love that perspective because if it did we'd all be having hits every minute of the you know. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah i never believe it oh mind you in all fairness i haven't met many actors who ever did that one or two in 45 odd years in the business we're all very hard on ourselves it's very rare yeah but when it does happen it's like you know it's like someone you know scratching a, a knife down a chalkboard <laughs> it's like ah oh, don't do that Oh, don't ever say that. I want to start off with The Waterman because it's now out in theaters. And by the time this episode comes out, it will be on video on demand. I just want to chat about it really quick because it's this beautiful mix of adventure and fantasy and reality. And I guess what drew you to the film and and what did you like about your character? Well, I think you nailed it right there in, in the question. It's that mixture of adventure and fantasy. It's that fantastic combo, which, you know, you think about... And these are movies that I love, certainly, at the time. And I know David Oyelowo is a fan of movies like The Goonies, Stand By Me, E.T., those those movies that, and here's a phrase that I love. I heard it the other, the other day, very sexy phrase, cross-generational appeal. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm walking around saying, Let's, we need some more CGA. It's perfect. <laughs> I know what it means, and you know, but it's, and it does have that in a way. You know, it's, it's you've got a story in the Waterman. You've got this great story led by a young, a young kid, but the story is powerful. It's it's full of danger and adventure and mystery, and no small risk to himself. Mm. But he's on this quest to, to to find this thing, this magical thing, whatever it is, that's going to save his mother. At the same time, you've got this whole other grown-up story of the tension between the parents, the kind of lack of communication and tension between the father and the son, the mother kind of, you know, worrying about what's going to happen when she goes, you know, with these with the two men in her life, as it were. There's a terribly urgent kind of grown-up theme going on at the same time. And the film carries those two stories simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, effortlessly in a way, because it's it's completely natural. There's, you know, and even all the magic stuff, all the kind of slightly mysterious super duper stuff, it's all rooted in something real. It's rooted in, in yet another tragedy. Mm. You know, someone said, well, what was it about your character that you liked? And I always say, well, it was because he was dealing with all the grief. That and maybe three other things are what drive us all through, throughout our lives, you know. So when stories are there, that deal with those big themes in a very kind of human manageable way, not in a super duper way, not in an existential way, but in a kind of real human way in a family. Those themes are 
they're epic, you know, and they go on forever. Your character kind of anchors us in the lore because here's an adult that's telling us it's okay to go on this adventure. Yeah, and I, th- I think there's there was an interesting juxtaposition, you know, that whole kind of strangers on a train thing about you'll suddenly find yourself opening up or or someone will be opening up to you in a situation that is completely neutral with the knowledge that you're never going to see each other again, mm-hmm. you know. That you know that that moment where people kind of like will just you know, are you all right, love? Yes, I'm fine. It's just, you know, I, my husband's left me, and suddenly everything pours out. I've actually been in that situation. That kind of openness. I think my character has that moment with Lonnie Chavis's character with Gunner, and I think there's that moment when the older character is in a way confessing mm. to the younger character, and, and by you know using this you know using the metaphor of like this is the secret i'm giving to you about this magical thing this magical place but there's a reason why i'm doing it and and that's that depth of storytelling is it's irresistible so you've known david oyelowo since as you like it right yeah in the early 2000s yeah we met on that movie and became friends and we stayed in touch and when uh, David and his family came to America, I think one of the early jobs he did, he, he actually directed a short. People are sort of pointing out this is his feature debut, which of course it is, but he directed a short, which I was in. We'd only been friends for a couple of years at that point. Even then, I saw that this was, you know, oh, he, he can do this as well. <laughs> He's <laughs> a talented motherfucker. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, <it's not> <laughs> David's very calm. He exudes calm. He's a calming figure. Mm. Even when he's involved in something where there's a bit of fire behind what he's saying, he's always got this demeanor that is kind of very calm and it fills you up. It kind of makes you feel strong. So even when things weren't quite going right on the set or, you know, not, not that anything major happened. I don't but it's that. a film and things go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a kind of, you know, okay, let's deal with it. You know, we'll do And you kind of go, yeah, yeah, we will deal with it. <laughs> Damn right, David, we're going to deal with it. And that's very inspiring, you know, and I've recognised a little bit of that when we did that short. So it was delightful. Getting the chance to do this with him was uh, a no-brainer as far as I was. And, and, and I'd, I, you know, and I'd worked with him on a movie mm-hmm. that he'd produced a couple of years ago. And, and again, you know, again, you know, a wonderful experience working with David. He, he's... Uh, very talented, obviously, and he's the kind of man that would never flaunt his intelligence. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. There's a lot of it there. Mm. This is a super, super smart, super talented man. He wears it lightly, and I love him for that. What was your style of collaborating together as director and actor? Well, I find the most effective way is basically just do as you're told. It's <laughs> the best way to make it work. <laughs> That's usually my default setting. One of the privileges of having done a lot of work and been around for a while is that you can enjoy the fact that you might actually know what you're talking about. (laughs) With David, I always felt confident enough to say, how about this? You know, to suggest something or to kind of, you know, that created such a wonderfully collaborative mood. It was right from the start. It was interesting because the scene I, I was involved in happened right at the beginning of the shooting schedule. So on the very first day, you know, when David gathered us all around and said, you know, we're going to start, good luck. He said a beautiful prayer for us all. And, and it was just set a beautiful tone. And that's how it stayed. It, it was, yeah, 
a privilege to work for him and a joy. He is collaborative. He's an actor. He likes to get in there, you know. <laughs> sort of, uh, but he was very well disciplined because he, he never gave anyone uh, like line readings. <laughs> he didn't get in there and do the scene for them. <laughs> but here's the weird thing, Jenny. Most actors will tell you that they hate being given line readings. I actually, I actually, I'm whispering this because I don't want anyone else to know. I actually quite enjoy line readings. Why? Keep this to yourself. It's because you then have to do a lot less thinking. <laughs> if a director says to me, you know, I'm, it's not quite right. I say, well, well, well tell, tell, you know, tell me how to do it. How, how do you hear it? And it always works. Does it ever not work if they give you a line reading and you're like, I don't know how to make that work? I've always managed to make it work somehow or other. <laughs> Either by applying it religiously or ignoring it completely. <laughs> to talk about shorts, I have to ask you about this wonderful little short, Sam Did It. Oh, yeah, yeah. By Dominic Burgess. Yeah. I'm friends with one of the producers, Natalie Britton, who says, by the way, you are one of the nicest people on the face of the planet. So I think she's right. That's another hundred bucks well spent. <laughs> <laughs> but... So this short, you play your own dead body. Yeah. <laughs> how did how did you, you make it sound so dull? <laughs> I mean, a lot more happens in it. It's a very epic ten minutes. But how did you end up doing this project? How did that come to be? It's a perfect example of what I was telling you earlier on about enjoying working with young directors. Dominic Burgess and I worked on Ryan Murphy's series Feud. Mm-hmm. Dom was absolutely brilliant. We had such a great time. We got on very well. And then out of the blue, he phones me and says, I've written this short that I'm going to direct. Any chance you might want to read? I said, yeah, I'd love to read it. And I read it and I loved it. I loved it. Mind you, he flattered the pants off me by saying, I wrote it with you in mind, (laughs) which I thought was very clever because if I'd have turned it down, he could just fill in anybody else's name. And I read it and I loved it. I thought it was really funny, wonderfully kind of inventive and fresh. You know, not a scenario I think I've ever seen anywhere before. And the writing was so, it was brittle and sweet. And, and you know, it, there was a kind of wonderful sort of uh, mm. enthusiasm in it. There was just a, you know, it was really coming from the heart somehow. And it just just touched me. And I, and I said, yeah, I'll do it. And we, we, and we did it in a day. We had such a laugh. We had a great time doing it. I'm glad you saw that. I'm, 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 I'm very, very proud of that little thing. I highly recommend everybody go look it up. It's on the interwebs. It is a delight. It is truly a fun film. Hi, I'm Robert Ross, host of Cars That Matter. You might be wondering what makes a car matter, and I have a feeling you already know the answer. Some cars have changed history. Some you can hear a mile away. Some have lines that make your heart skip a beat. If a car has ever made you look twice, then I think you know the ones that matter. Join me as I speak with designers, collectors, and market experts about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive. Cars That Matter, wherever you get your podcasts. A friend of mine recommended this week since I was talking to you that I watched The Imposters, which I had never seen. Oh my God, what a great film. I just want to hear about your experience on it. The physical comedy is so amazing. Everybody in it was fantastic. It was like someone, I think it was Lily Taylor. Mm. I think it was Lily Taylor who said it. She, she, at one point during one of the days of filming, she said, this is like theatre camp for all the bad kids. <laughs> <laughs> 
the misbehaved kids. <laughs> then, you know, all the bad kids. And, <laughs> and it was, it was absolutely, it was like Stanley Tucci who directed it and, and wrote it. He and Oliver, I think, were just determined to kind of, they needed to kind of have fun because, they, they, you know, it was, it was almost like required just to create the spirit in which to make the movie somehow. It has to be, you know, it had to be buoyant. And I think basically they just said, let's just cast a few chums, you know, because we all knew each other in one way or another. I mean, the cross-generational appeal of this cast was incredible. <laughs> you know, we had, you know, well, you just look, I mean, unbelievable. Billy Connolly, Steve Buscemi, I mean, I mean, Hope Davis, Campbell Scott. I mean, it just goes on and on. And you just, I mean, when he told me about it, I said, I'll lurk in a doorway. I, I don't care. I just want to be there. I want to be, <laughs> I want to be in the room where it happens. It was three, I can't remember, was it maybe three weeks, four weeks? I can't remember. In New York in the summertime that year, shooting at uh, Silver Cup, I think it was. It was glorious. It was glorious. So much fun, but fun that was earned. You know, it wasn't just people larking about and not giving a shit. We, we worked hard. That was a big movie for, for the amount of money that we had and in terms of what we were trying to get, trying to squeeze that into a very, very finite space. We worked hard, but oh, it was joyous. It was like yeah, just the best. The, you know, I love my tribe. I, I get very sentimental about actors. I've got to say, I have to admit that. And this tribe, it means a lot to me. And, and when great people come together, not only talented, but just wonderful, wonderful human beings, that's the best, that's heaven. If such a thing exists, that's what it's like. It's being surrounded by people you love and admire. Mm. And just, that's it. It was just fantastic. It was uh, one, of the, one of the fondest memories I've got of making a movie, that film. And you can see it on the screen. It's just so much fun. I meant to put it on in the background, and then I watched every second of it. I was just glued to the TV. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. Talking about your tribe and the actors, what would you say are the qualities that make up an actor who fits that kind of tribe? Because, you know, actor can fluctuate these days. I mean, I think the term itself needs a bit of a, an upgrade. <laughs> there was a time when the word actor or slightly less appealingly, actress. Mm. Those were terms that absolutely everyone understood exactly what that defined. And it was invariably someone doing the classics and well-behaved plays in beautiful theatres to beautiful audiences, all wearing beautiful things. So basically this upper-middle-class audience looking at themselves. And that was an actor. Everyone else was an entertainer or a vaudevillian or a comedy or, a, you know, everybody had other titles. But actor had a kind of specific ring to it. And even the difference between stage actors and film movie people, you know, film actor, screen star. <laughs> very rarely was a film actor, someone who was famous for making movies, very rarely they were just an actor. You know, there was some, it was all to do with theatre. And now that's all changed. Mm. That's all changed now. You've, we're all in a hugely corporate, worldwide industry. And regardless of whether you're doing commercials on local cable stations or if you're playing the lead in some show on Broadway or if you're picking up an Oscar for a fantastic performance over here or getting your Tony over there for something else, whatever it is you're doing, we're all part of the same industry now and i think the fact that performers there's cross-generational appeal everywhere it's like a virus 
you know, singers can act, actors can sing and dance, dancers can direct and directors can do everything else. And there's this wonderful mix going on. It's this fantastic cross-pollination that's happening. And I think the internet's got a lot to do with it, probably. I think the podcast itself is this, you know, I mean, a lot of people kind of say, well, it's a radio interview, but actually there's something else about it. It's, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's its own little thing. It's, it's, you can keep it. You can just get rid of it. You can uh, choose when you want to listen to it. You can go back to it. You can put it on a shelf somewhere and go back to it 10 years time because, oh yeah, didn't they mention something about this? Mm. You know, it's, it's a resource and we're all part of this big thing. And I think we should all be called, uh, I don't know, something like um, show business practitioners. (laughs) It's not as sexy of a name, but sure, sure. (laughs) How about, how about entertainment specialist? (laughs) I like that. That's what I'm putting on my business card. (laughs) Can I tell you a great little story about business cards? Yes. When I graduated from drama school, my mother, as a gift to celebrate my graduation, she made up a set of 500 professionally printed business cards, which I thought was such a sweet. And they were nice. They came in this velvet box. They had their kind of thick, cardboard vellum you know the really nice one that feels like it's kind of with this beautiful dark blue embossed raised font it was just gorgeous and it very simple it just said Alfred Molina actor with my phone number underneath but I could never use them because the word actor she had them put in quotes (laughs) if I use that it would be like hi I'm Alfred Molina I'm an actor I don't even quite believe it myself (laughs) You have to find them somewhere and just like wallpaper your wall with them. <laughs> I've moved so many times, you know, from one sort of cheap flat to another. I lost them along the way. Oh. I'll never forget that. It was such a sweet thing for her to do. but And it was all I could do. Oh, man, it was all I could do not to laugh. Because, you know, she handed them to me. And she was like, you like it? You like it? And I'm kind of going, oh, man, what is it? She open it, open it. You know, and I opened it. I saw, oh. You, I love them. I love. I was like biting my lip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, mom, I love that. Okay, so before we run out of time, I have a couple <laughs> listener questions for you. Our first one is from a lovely lady named Dana Powers, and she wants to know what is a role that has greatly impacted the person slash actor you are today. Ooh, big question. Start with the big ones, why don't you? <laughs> well, I, I suppose. Films that or roles that have that have kind of stayed with me. Yeah, there has been a few. I think Raiders definitely for all kinds of reasons, you know, personal reasons as well as professional. You know, that started everything. Frida mm. had a big impact on me. You know, I it opened up a whole world to me that I really, you know, to my shame, didn't really know very much about, which was you know, sort of uh, Latin American art and literature. It was a bit of a closed book to me before that movie. Mm. It opened up a whole world and it was just so beautiful. And, you know, the music and the writing and the art and the movies, you know, this this huge, huge cultural gift that, you know, Latin America has given the world. I was, oh, so that's where that comes from. Oh, my God. So that's what that means. It was just a constant journey of just that whole film, doing the research, playing the role, everything else. It was a huge, constant journey of learning and 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 you know just it was uh, brilliant it was a great great experience our other listener question is from carson higgins and he wants to know what is a role that you still hope to play one day 
Is this the same Carson Higgins that I owe money to? Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully, hopefully you'll take this answer in lieu of cash. Uh, you hear that, Carson? What was the question again? What is a role that you still hope to play one day? Oh, my goodness, Carson. You have no idea. There are so many. This is another kind of area where I have to be a bit circumspect about getting too pleased with myself because this is something that really only applies to men at the moment and doesn't really apply to women, which is, you know, needs to change, which is that when you get to my age as a male actor, there's a whole generation of great parts waiting for you. Big Daddy in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman, Lear, those parts, Prospero. There's a whole wave, there's a whole shelf full of roles that you can really be thrilled to do. It's not the same for women. There are lots of parts I'm looking forward to, but I'm I'm a little sensitive to kind of, you know, crowing about it. Rub it in my face, basically. Yes, yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Because we've talked about how you've had this wealth of projects in your career. And I once spoke with a producer. She's produced huge, huge things. And I asked her, do you still get excited when you're in the room with these giant filmmakers? And she was like, no, but I think it's a good thing because it also means I'm no longer nervous. So do you still get nervous when you're approaching a job or, or excited or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had, I wish I had that producer's ability. It's a personal thing in the sense that I think it's all to do with you as a human being. I don't think it's got very much to do with you as a as one, as a, as a performer or as an actor. I don't think it's something that's peculiar to us. I think it's a human thing. Some people get intimidated by people in, you know, positions of power and others don't. You know, I, I still do a little bit. I mean, I, I, I still get nervous. And, uh, you know, I'm. I've, it's either nerves and being intimidated or it could be just one big fucking huge ego. I'm not quite sure which, but I'll tell you what this, I'll tell you what it is. I get nervous, but I get excited as well. Like I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm shitting bricks, but I'm really looking forward to kind of, you know, getting in the room and, 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 you know, especially if it's like for something specific, I still, you know, I still get nervous. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm still in awe of many, many people in our industry. It's, I remember going for an interview once. And uh, a friend of mine told me that, you know, this director was very kind of brusque, very sort of, you know, uh, matter of fact, you know, didn't like small talk, you know, got to the point, you know, you're in it, you're in it, you're out. And I thought, oh, good to know. So I went in there trying to match that, you know, trying to match his personality, which I didn't knew nothing about. All I got was some, you know, secondhand information and God knows what was motivating that. Oh, no. you know? So oh, I walked in no. all kind of like, you know, ready for a kind of, you know, in and out. And the guy turned out to be the sweetest, most gentle, calm, enthusiastic young director. He was kind of, you know, really happy to be there and happy to meet me and stuff. And I'm kind of giving him all this, you know, attitude, <laughs> you know, and then I think, no wonder I didn't get that job. <laughs> <laughs> He must have thought. He's like, why is Fred so mean? There's this director somewhere kind of going, Alfred Molina, what an asshole. <laughs> I like feeling a bit nervous. I, I like kind of being a bit starstruck in a way. Mm. I, I remember when I first met Robert De Niro, it was, I mean, I could, I could barely talk. And he'd just seen me in a play, which I was rather good in, if I, if I say so myself. <laughs> 
he came to see me and I'm kind of sitting there kind of uh, if, oh, yeah. he was asking you know how are you oh yeah okay yeah, yeah, yeah couldn't get I couldn't get a word out it was ridiculous you are such a pleasure to talk to thanks you are absolutely welcome back anytime before you go though I have a sign-off question that I ask everybody it's my favorite question to ask what does it mean to you to have a life in storytelling what does it mean to me to have a life in storytelling Oh, it's everything. I wouldn't have a life without it. Oof. It's everything. Absolutely everything. And, and I, I can say that without any equivocation. It's, I can't think of a single area of my life that hasn't been touched by it or that would be any richer without it. I, I can't think. I can't think of anything. It's in everything. And I don't think that's just because I'm in show business. I think that's a, I think that's a human thing too. Nice way to earn a living. <laughs> yeah you know different hours you got to get up early sometimes but you know you can always take it you can have a little nap in the afternoon it's always <laughs> an adventure yeah <laughs> alfred molina thank you so much for joining me the waterman is available both in theaters and on vod and check it out it's a beautiful film and this has been just delightful thanks so much cheerio Hollywood Unscripted was created by Kurt Co Media. This special episode was hosted and produced by me, Jenny Curtis, with guest Alfred Molina. Edited by Joey Salvia and Renita Malhatra Hora. The executive producer of Hollywood Unscripted is Stuart Halperin. The Hollywood Unscripted theme song is by Celeste and Eric Dick. Please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any special episodes of Hollywood Unscripted. We've got some great conversations coming your way. As always, stay safe and healthy. And thanks for listening. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind.